Oh, good morning. Good morning. As Brenda was saying, this is the icon of our week. This is to be the most important day. I, I love this day. I love the Lord's day. And I am honored the word of Christ to preach Christ and be crucified and to preach the word of him to everyone. I must say, I must confess that studying through this, I just saw the challenges of preaching prophetic literature or prophet. And before going further on that, I wanted to just express what I said privately, but now say publicly how thankful I am. And you, producer, and Jake, for the labors you put into this and working through this word and the interpretation of it, and also thankful for God's grace for the quality of the sermons that we have received from this. I feel very blessed to have been filled out in my grasp of the word of God by understanding more of a prophet. This seems like a weird area in my life, so thank you for welcoming me and for God for that. Now this is challenging, not just because it's prophetic, but this specific chapter is, if I sum it up in one word, I'd say judgment. If you look in your head, you can get something to do with that. This one says, relentless judgment is that. And judgment is hard to preach on, it's hard to listen to, it's hard to think about, it's hard to hear. But, in God's wisdom and providence, he put this here. Chapter 13 of Hosea, right before the duties that come in 14. And I think purposeful. And my desire, brothers and sisters, is that we would see the importance of judgment. That one, we would see how judgment paints that backdrop so that we can see the glories of the gospel. But then also, too, that we would see the problem of sin and of idolatry as we look at judgment. And so, I want to pray for that and pray with you that I have the grace to preach this well, but also that God can speak to your hearts for a heavy message. So, let me pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. And you are just. And your justice is pure and it is right. You are so merciful. And I'm reminded, even the reason we gather for the, what we call the Lord's Day, by celebrating our bond and our unity and the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though you were just, you sent Jesus Christ to the earth that we might live through him. And Father, I pray, as I preach on this subject of judgment and even these many different, very challenging verses and hard things to say, I pray for a winsomeness and a grace throughout my young years to bring this word well, and that by your spirit you would speak to each of the, your people's hearts today. Lord, as I was mentioning the prayer meeting, and realizing that many people come to church and feel already beat up from the week and sorrowful, and a sermon on judgment just seems like one too much, but Lord, we know that you can meet them. So I pray for grace that I would do this well, by your power, but also for grace for their heart that they be able to hear this and grow and learn and be shaped and even comforted. But also, Lord, I pray for those who need to hear a sermon on judgment, who have not turned to Christ and who need to feel the weight of this. Father, penetrate those hearts. May your gospel open the doors to life. When we come in repentance and fall, 
Lord, I put this before you. For I believe in the Holy Spirit and you did now. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the, uh, for the main theme on it, I would say judgment. And so, yeah, that's pretty much what 1 through 16 is. But to break it into some of the more manageable chunks, I think the way we could outline it is verses 1 through 8. It's saying judgment is coming through idolatry. So judgment because of idolatry. And then uh, 9 through 16, judgment is coming because they reject the only helper or because they reject the only savior. So one more time, judgment comes because of idolatry. The first, first eight verses, then the last eight verses, judgment comes because they reject the only helper. I'll begin uh, with that first one, judgment because of idolatry. I'll just start right in, verses 1 through 2. When Ephraim spoke trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. But when he offended through bear worship, he died. Now they sinned more and more and had made for themselves molded images. Idols of silver, according to their skill, all of it is the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men sacrifice kiss the calves, or those offering human sacrifice, they're kissing calves. And so what God is saying here is, look from where you have fallen, Ephraim. So again, Ephraim is that standing for Israel. And he's saying, Ephraim, at one point when you spoke, people trembled. At one point, your words had honor, there was power. At one point, men like the likes of Joshua came from the ranks and even led the entire people of Israel into the land of promise. At one point, Ephraim, this is who you were. You were exalted in all of Israel. You served the living and the true God. But, you offended, but then he offended through Baal worship and he died. He turned to idols and he died spiritually. And now they sin. The people of Ephraim and the people of Israel, they sin more and more. And they have made for themselves molded images, idols of their silver, according to their skill. All of it is the work of a craftsman. It's really stunning. At one point, you could enjoy his reading. At one point, you were worshiping the God of the universe who controlled all things and ruled all things. And now you're worshiping idols made of silver. What happened to you, Ephraim? From the height of fallen. You worship idols that are made by the hands of a human. They used, people used to tremble when you spoke. People used to honor you. But now, let's look, look at the end of verse 2. They say of them, those offering human sacrifices, they're kissing calves. People once used to honor you. Now they're looking at you and like, wow, you're offering human sacrifices and kissing calves. They're fools. just meditating through this, I think what we can see is that Israel's idolatry led to great consequences for others. Put another way, our idolatry does not just affect us and God, it affects others around us. In this case, the idolatry and worship of Israel, of their idols, led to them sacrificing their children on the altar to their gods. As Brandon put it, our vertical sins have horizontal effects. Our vertical idolatry has horizontal effects. There's some examples that came to mind. It was hard to think about bringing up, but I couldn't help but think of abortion. When you realize that what is the idea of convenience has become an absolute idol in our land, 
The idea of sex without consequences is an idol in our land. And the idea of the pursuit of our own happiness is an idol. And these idols have risen to such prominence amongst us that our unborn children are discarded in an attempt to fulfill and gain these idols. In a word, I've described abortion as offering our children on the altar of convenience. As Israel offered their children to their idols, much of the nation does the same. Then also, I think even in other ways, our idols impact our idols, our idols impact other souls, and I think even pretty much everyone's life we've done this in some way. Maybe just in the case of relationships or families or us forsaking responsibilities. I don't know what the idol is for you. It's uh, maybe football, hunting, sports, shopping, movies, TVs, cars. When something becomes an idol, it has effect on our relationships and those around us. Maybe not in the case of actually killing them, but in the case of we forsake the responsibilities that we have. You see, if I am so lost in the world of TV and movies, then I'm, a, then I'm not going to be caring for my wife. If that, is, if that becomes an idol for me, I'm going to be giving all my heart and soul and life to it. It's going to be hurting my relationship with others. I remember when this point was so vividly made for me years ago. When I got saved, I had a massive idol of video games. In teenage years, I played for hours on end. And I realized the idol it was, I could still remember the moment when God, once I got saved, and God pointed to it and said, not only is this an idol, but it's affecting others, he made the same point. It was about four or five months into being a Christian, and I had just walked out of my room after playing hours for video games. And I remember I was sitting there talking with my three sisters. And I looked around, I was talking with them, and I was looking at each of their faces, and God suddenly was speaking to my heart, Daniel, you're 18 years old, and you don't even know your sisters. I was so lost in the world of video games that I did not even know my sisters. I had never been a brother to them. I had never um, uh, been the protector for them. I had not cared for them, cherished them. That my role as a brother should have been the oldest brother in the family. And I realized that the video games that I was pouring myself into was pulling me away from the relationships in my family. And praise God that he allowed me shortly after the oath to cut those out of my life and he was given sweet redemption. And at that conversation, he had forgiven me. But do we realize that our idols absolutely have consequences in our lives? In the lives of others. So maybe we've probably seen the concept of idolatry coming out throughout uh, the book of Hosea. Maybe the Lord's pointing to things in your life, and as you're thinking through that, also process. So how is this affecting others? We pray for God's grace to help you deal with them. Moving on, it says, "But the men who sacrifice, they kiss the calves." Again, it's just a very demeaning thing to say of Ephraim. 
Now the kissing calves, you could say it's an ancient way of saying they're paying homage to calves. They're venerating the calves. They're showing their submission to calves. They're showing their worship to calves. And this is how far they've fallen that they're doing this. They're kissing calves. And it was interesting, I'm reading through this, and this is supposed to be a very heavy section. It is a very heavy section. But my, mo- my, my mind was reminded of a verse that is actually a sweet gospel quote. You see, what's striking is right here, it says, it's talking about those offering human sacrifices and those kissing calves in this 13th chapter. But in the 14th chapter, redemption is offered. There is redemption offered to those who do things like this. And the language of kissing calves or kissing that whom you honor, I want to bring us to Psalm chapter 2. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. As you turn there, I'm going to remind you that the context is the Messiah... The coming Messiah who is going to come, and in light of the coming Messiah, this is what people should do. Psalm chapter 2, we start reading in verse 10. So again, the coming Messiah, therefore you should do this. Verse 10. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. Do you see that those who kiss calves, pay homage to calves, submitting to calves, the Son is going to be angry and they will receive judgment. You're going to see that in the rest of Hosea. Those kissing calves will receive judgment. But, to those who kiss the Son, understand that the Son is the coming Messiah, the Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but ever not have everlasting life. God sent Jesus Christ to the earth to bear upon him the iniquity of us all. And you could say, the iniquity of all of our idolatry upon himself on the tree. And the Lord Jesus Christ was punished by God on the tree for our idolatry that we had committed. And by his stripes, because he rose again the third day, we can be healed. And just meditating with that in the context of what I had just previously said, I was deeply moved that a Christian in one moment can say the evil that abortion is and how it is a sacrifice, but in the next moment can say there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, with a woman who has had an abortion, or through the husband or father. You can say there is a Redeemer, there is forgiveness in the Lamb of God if we kiss the Son. Christ has sent His only Son into the world that there might be redemption. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We'll bring a charge against God's elected. It's God who justifies, who's going to condemn it is Christ Jesus who died. And the Savior's right in God. His mercy is more. Remember that song? Our sins there are many, his mercy is more. You know James passage, mercy will triumph over judgment. How sweet is God's grace. But I would say to those who have not kissed the sun, there is wrath coming. And you're going to see that in the rest of Hosea. There is judgment coming upon those who are still kissing calves. In a sense, to those who are kissing idols, venerating, submitting to idols. 
kiss the Son, in other words, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. We will be saved free from the sin. So because of their idolatry, you saw in verses 1 through 2, in verse 3, therefore, they will be like the morning cloud and like the early dew that passes away, like chaff which is blown from a threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. The way I put this is you become like what you worship. Israel was worshiping temporal, vain idols that were made with human hands or that would pass away. And therefore, they were going to, they will be, they will pass away like a morning cloud, they will pass away like the early dew. They will be for a moment, and then they will be gone. You'll be gone. They are not tied to the everlasting life. They're temporal, like chaff blown off the threshing floor, like smoke that blows away in the bed from the chimney. But strongly, this is contrasted then by God speaking of who he was. Verse 4, yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt. Ever since you shall, and you shall know no God but me, for there is no Savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness in the land of great drought. In other words, this is who you were, Israel, but I was the God who from day one in Egypt knew you. I walked with you, I cared you. You've seen this theme in Hosea, God's care for the people, even in the midst of their trials, even when they were weak, even when they were first born. It's a beautiful truth. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. In a time of sorrow, in a time of anguish, when you were weak, when you needed me, I knew you. I walked with you then. But, you can almost hear, feel the anguish of this verse, verse 6, feel the, when they had pasture, they were filled. The Lord is saying, I knew you in the wilderness, but as soon as they had their pasture, as soon as they received their prosperity and land, they were filled, they became prosperous, prosperous, their heart was exalted, and they forgot me. Their heart was exalted, I think that means they became proud in their own ability to provide for themselves. They knew they needed God in the wilderness, but once they had everything they thought they needed, they didn't think they needed God anymore. They became proud, and they forgot me. Verses 7 and 8. So I will be to them like a lion, like a leopard by the road. I will lurk. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. I will tear open their ribcage, and there I will devour them like a lion, like the wild, the wild beast shall tear them. That's a hard text. That's hard stuff to read. You're going to tear them, their ribcage? And I was processing, Lord, it seems like the idea of you doing that is tied to they forgetting you. And it was striking to me, really, Lord, why is forgetting so important to you? Why is, why is that such a significant concern to you that they forgot me? And I was reminded of many of the central themes of Hosea, relationship. God longs for relationship with his people. He wants to be remembered. He doesn't want to be forgotten. And then I'll remind you again of the central analogies of Hosea, how God called Hosea the prophet, who wrote this book, to go and marry this woman named Gomer, who essentially was going to go, therefore, then commit adultery against him. And God wanted Hosea to see, as Gomer committed adultery against him, how he felt as Israel kept turning to idols. You forgot me. Gomer forgot Hosea. I think that's something we can even grasp in our own minds. I remember so many guys have told me, don't forget your wife's birthday. 
He's like, all right, all right. I'm batting 100 down. But, so, so don't forget to do it. Oh, you want to forget it once? Yeah. All right. I, I won't test that. But see, the main point, like, that even in something like, what we would say is like small compared to like, like big is significant. Don't forget that. We're forgetting about these. How much more so if you literally completely forgot all about them? Completely forgot them. To other ones. And so I said that I think you can feel God's pain here. You forgot me. And contextually, an application I was processing, the forgetting was coming as a result of prosperity because they felt like they could care for their own selves. And I, I want us to process is give us this day our daily bread, that line in the Lord's Prayer. Does that mean something to you? Or do we feel like we could just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we could care for ourselves on our own? Is that causing us to forget God? Praise God for the prosperity that you have. It often is a sweet blessing. But it can also cause us to forget God. And so I think we really need to grasp the reality that God is the provider and have that a deep part of our soul. And I remember, I can't remember Brent or Jake mentioned this, but thankfulness and prayer is especially a very sweet way to cultivate that idea, that remembrance. That God is the provider. When you're thanking him for you're acknowledging him as the provider. There's a good rhythm to have in prayer. So that's the first section. So if you see verses 7 and 8, the judgment that's going to come as a result of idolatry. So again, there's judgment because of idolatry. And then the next section, judgment because they rejected their only hope. The only hope. Look at verses 9 through 11. Oh Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king, where is any other, that he may save you in all your cities. And your judges, with whom you said, give me a king and princes, I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. Verse 9, O Israel, you will be destroyed, but your help is from me. In other words, there's this judgment that is coming upon you. You are going to be destroyed, but I was the one who could have helped you. I was the one helper that could have given you life. It says, I will be your king. Now, where are the other kings that you raised up? It's sort of that rhetorical question. Where are the kings that you raised up? Why don't they save you now? And the answer is, they're not there. They're not able to save them. And so what you see is God's judgment is falling, and they could have turned to God who was the only savior, but they were rejecting him. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath, and he gets that in Saul. I know we've been beating this drum a lot, but I have to say it again. I think we really need to make it so clear that we cannot put our hope in, in politics. It is so necessary that we realize that our bedrock is upon Jesus Christ. That come what, come what will, we will stand on him. Israel put their trust in the earthly kings. We do not put our trust in earthly politicians. In verses 12 to 14, the iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. 
The idea is basically like in a treasure house, the sin that is just building up, it's building up, it's building up, it's piling up upon them. So you can say, in a sense, when they come before the judge of the universe, or as the judge of the universe is looking at them, he has seen a long list of sins that are going to be brought against them. Very, very deserving of God's wrath. Then verse 13, the sorrows of a woman in childbirth shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long when children are born. Because his iniquity is being built up, the sorrows of childbirth are going to come upon him. For he is an unwise son, for he should not stay long when children are born. That's a challenging verse. The general sense of what I think it's saying is Ephraim is staying in a dangerous place. He's refusing to come forth into life. A baby who is not being born is in a very, very dangerous place. Stuck at the opening of the womb that is deadly, deadly for the mother and for the baby. In the same way, it's like Ephraim, you are staying in this very deadly place, not being willing to come and be born. Not willing to come to repentance, not willing to come into life, not willing to come to God. Not willing to return. It's a very scary place to be. And so, you see in verse 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave, I will redeem them from death. See that death language? Oh, death, where are your plagues? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Pity is given from my eyes. Now, here are the different translations. This is rendered differently because apparently the Hebrew is somewhat hard. But I think the, the main point that it's saying here, this could be taken either positive or negatively, depending on the context. But I think what's being said here is like, if you are staying in this place of death, if you are refusing to be born, I would say in the New Testament, born again, coming into life, there is a sting to death, there is victory to grave, and God will not ransom them. And that's why at the end of verse 14, it says, pity is hidden from my eyes. They are not willing to come forth into life, therefore pity will be hidden from God's eyes. Now maybe this verse reminded you of a beautiful verse in the New Testament. So this is used in a different way for Christians. Actually, we'll turn there. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> I'm sorry, you this Now think, see, look through this as we're reading this, how Paul is applying this text now that was once a judgment idea to Christians who are in Christ. Quite beautiful. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Here we say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory, where? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
to those who are not foolish, start staying at the opening of the womb, but to those who come and are born again, come forth into life. Repent and believe the gospel. This is a positive idea to them. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The answer is it's not there. The de- Hades' grave, Sheol, does not have a victory. The sting of death is gone as we pass into life everlasting. I think it's beautiful to see how even a heavy text in Hosea picked up by Paul and said, Well, but in Christ, where is your sting? In verses 15 and 16. So he is fruitful among his brethren, and east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, then his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. He shall plunder the treasury of every desirable prize. Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword, their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and the women and the child are broken. There are some hard hitting texts in this chapter. This is a description of judgment that is to come. I think that what this is referencing is we have to understand historically while the time Hosea was writing, the Assyrian Empire was growing in the east. What I believe this is describing is it is saying that the east wind, in other words, the east, from the east is going to come Assyria, God's judgment in the form of this empire coming in, and absolutely obliterating the nation of Israel. You look at it, it's the language of war. It's the language of destruction. He shall plunder. The Assyrians will plunder the treasure of every desirable prize. End of 15, verse 16. Samaria is held guilty. So this is talking about the northern kingdom being destroyed. For she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces. And their women with child will be ripped open. That's how it happened when the country attacked and conquered in those days. It was absolute destruction. They did not have foreign agreements of what how war should be fought. Now we don't use chemical combustion gas and trucks because we have agreements. They didn't have that stuff back then. They did whatever the strongest military felt, we did that. That's that's what they did. And so it's really stunning to process that God's judgment came in the form of the nation of Assyria. And this happened before it actually happened. So this is a prophecy of that which is to come. And on the south, tough note to end on, but I picked up something in verse 15 that I was struck by. This, his spring shall become dry, and his fountain shall be dried up. Isn't it interesting that Israel or Ephraim was putting all their hope in the fountain or their place of living water, the place where they got their life from, was something that could actually be dried up. Their idols, their kings, their prosperity. When the judgment of God was going to come, it could be dried up. And that's one seems to be one of the main points of this text is that they're relying on things that are temporal and pass away and will fall in judgment. I couldn't help but thinking of that song, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from the man who came into the sinner's plunge beneath the flood, is all in Joseph's hands. The language of flood and fountain is throughout Scripture. There's a fountain which will flow from the house of God and revealing to the nations. And we realize, brothers and sisters, that our fountain, 
when the judgment of God comes against us will not dry up, it will not fail, because it is of Christ. The glory be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, that's what I got on this text. And it is hard language. But I hope you see the problem of sin, God's hatred for idolatry, and then leading into forgetfulness. But then also, in a sense, you'll see this as a sort of setting the table for the beauty that I can be revealed in chapter 14. The renewing of the man. Renewing of Israel. So thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift. Father in heaven, great are your mercies, O God. Thank you for even some texts like this, which show to us that you are a just God who has helped us to grasp so sweetly and so deeply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh Father, I long for all of us that we'd be able to kill the idols in our lives. Well, we're concerned how they affect those around us. And we long to magnify your name in all that we do. So help us point out to us the idols in our life that are taking us away from you. And free us from those slaves. Free us from that bondage. But help these words to sink in. I pray again for anyone who does not know Christ, who the judgment of God will still hang upon them. And even these hard words we read are just a minor part. They're just minuscule compared to the judgment that is going to come on the last day. I pray for them that they would repent and believe. They would turn from idols and come to the only helper who is able to save them. Father, hear our worship now. You are worthy and praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.